welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Both Zurich and OnePath life insurance offerings deliver the broadest range of offerings in the market with a combined four distinct solutions on offer to better serve all Australians. At Zurich and OnePath, we believe in the value of advice and the professionals who provide it. This means investing in more ways to help your clients and making it easier for you to do business with us. To find out more about how we can help you and your clients, contact your Zurich and OnePath life or Zurich Investments representative today. Clayton here from XY Advisor discussing financial therapy today with Rick and it's Kayla. Kayla, yes. Awesome. All the way over in the States, mate. Thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks. It's uh, really good to uh, be with you. I have uh, an affinity for Australia. So, Uh, Have you spent any time over here before? I have spent some time. I spoke at an event over there. It was um, called the Nazaruddin Project. To it's a group of uh, financial planners, coaches, and therapists. Oh wow! And so I've been to Sydney. I've been to Adelaide, which, <laughs> and then I told my friends in Sydney I liked Adelaide, and I lost immediate standing with them. <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, we call it Radelaide because it's so rad. Been <laughs> <laughs> to Melbourne. Yep. And. Yep. Um, and around. I mean, I haven't spent gobs of time, maybe a total of a month or so, but it's a, it's a delightful country. Well, mate, it's nice of you to say so. Um, what was the name of the conference? Did you say you spoke at? Because I'd never heard of that before. It's called the Nazruddin Project. Nazruddin Project. Nazruddin, Nazruddin was a mythical 15th century um, prophet. Right. And there's a movement and the states that was founded in 1994-95 by George Kinder and Dick Wagner. And they got their curiosity up because uh, as planners, we give people wonderful financial plans. And about a third of them wouldn't do the exact plan that that solved their, their problem, at least that they stated. And they got thinking, maybe there's something emotional going on here. <laughs> So they formed this group and named it the Nazruddin Project. And it was, it's a leaderless group of uh, financial planners, coaches, and therapists who get together once a year. They have no agenda when they come together. In two hours, they create a two-day uh, conference with three tracks. And it's the best thing I go to every year. And it's um, been going on since then. So it's what, in its 26th year or so. That sounds so cool. I'm not, so I'm not even lying. So exactly answer your question. There's a, a, a Wayne Lear is a CFP in Australia. And he would come up to the Nazarene meetings, as are there several other now from Australia. And he wanted to do what he called NAS Down Under. <laughs> So he put together uh, Nazarene, the first Nazarene meeting uh, in Australia, and I was fortunate enough to be able to come down and 
we had a great time. Oh my God. This is like a secret society of financial planners I had never heard of. This is super cool. Well, it, it is. If you try to Google it, I don't think you're going to find much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's even better. You, you, you sent me on a quest now to find out more. But, this is but we, cool. we, I could get you into the listserv. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Please. So it's, it's $50 and a interest in the emotional side of money. Oh, my God. And uh, we only raise uh, uh, money when we want to pair the list, when we think there's, it's gotten too big. Oh, So it's wow. not $50 a year. It's just $50 to whenever the next time is we want money. <laughs> <laughs> right. This sounds super cool. I, 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 I'm not kidding. I, I definitely want in on this uh, NAS Rootin project. Oh, my God. One of the, the interesting things I find about financial planning is the more uh, I've, I've had the chance to, I guess, deep dive into financial planning as a subject for about five or six years, almost as long as my career in financial planning. So I sold my uh, financial planning business a couple of years ago. And these days I just work full time for XY. And, uh, and the interesting thing about it is the more conversations I have the more I discover that people have been trying to figure out what this financial planning thing means for far longer uh, than I ever, at, it, in some cases, have been born. I interviewed. Well, yeah, we've been at this 40 years. There's still not a legal definition of financial plan. It's crazy, isn't it? It yeah, is crazy. It's totally crazy. Yeah. Um, and so when we were putting together this the series is mental health so we're both for uh for financial planners but probably focused more on the mental health of our clients and we're going through this list and we want to interview 10 people and as i as i'm going through this this uh this process of interviewing people i start hearing this term financial therapy financial therapist and i'm going okay this is this is a term I haven't heard. And then it turns out that uh, there's a group of people that are coming at financial advice from a therapy point of view, from a traditionally, let's call it marriage therapy or, uh, or it, just focusing on the psychological nature. And that as financial stress is often the largest stress, that these people have built up their financial capabilities and have merged their knowledge of humans with their knowledge of money. And it's dawned on me that this is uh, not necessarily a new thing, but it is definitely a powerful thing. And I'm kind of figuring out why it's not more well known. Uh, our staff here in Australia, Chilla, who's our head of ops, she recommended we speak to you. Uh, and then I saw you're the first person I've seen with the title financial therapist. So I was wondering if you could share with us what your background is and, and let's go from there. Yeah. So I am a certified financial therapist level one. I think I was officially the fourth one in the nation. So there's a good reason why you have not <laughs> heard about this. The Financial Therapy Association was formed in 2010. So it's surprising to me it's even 10 years old, but it's not surprising that you have never heard of this and that it's not well known. It is in its infancy as a uh, profession. So 
a little bit of uh, how it um, came to be. It actually came out of the work of the Nazruddin Project because um, uh, the Nazruddin Project is bringing together emotions and money. So the uh, Financial Therapy Association that came out of that uh, when there was a group of about 30 of us in 2009 got together and just tried to decide, is financial therapy a thing or not? And we decided we think it's a thing. And so we started the association. And, and I think that the power you alluded to this behind financial therapy is you have the therapists who are experts in behavioral change. You have the financial planner who are experts in money. And there's a fellow by the name of Daniel Kahneman who won the Nobel Prize in, I think it was 2002, he won, in economics. Now, the crazy thing is he was a psychologist. How does a psychologist win the Nobel Prize in economics? Well, he did research that showed 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally. Wow. Now, what that means is that they're made in the limbic system, not the cerebral cortex. Uh, and the cerebral cortex is where we think, and it takes lots of effort to think. Uh, this is really discouraging news to financial planners, because they think that they think <laughs> about money, <laughs> that certainly the 90-10 rule doesn't apply to them. <laughs> Uh, the bad news is they have the same brain as everybody else. Right. And we make 90% of our financial decisions in a nanosecond in the limbic system. They're emotional decisions. Hmm. So it kind of occurred to me uh, back around 2000 when I got into the Nasruddin project and got interested in this that, well, if 90% of all financial decisions are made emotionally, <laughs> and financial planners think 90% of all decisions are made logically. Um, maybe I better learn more about the brain. Wow, yeah. If I want to stay relevant, because back in 2000, uh, the thought was investments are going to be made a commodity. Mm -hmm. And what's going to be left? The planning and the relationship. Well, today, roll ahead 20 years, financial planning is becoming a commodity. And what's going to be left? The relationship, period. So I think it behooves anybody interested in financial planning and helping people financially to become very much a student of uh, human behavior, the human brain, uh, communication skills. So far, there isn't a computer that can put all this together. Now, maybe 20 years from now, it'll be quite different. But the, so, the, so as I explain it to people that you have your, your therapist over here, and by and large, when you mention money to a therapist, it's like a cockroach running from light. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my God, no, you're not one of those money people. Oh, money, that's bad, that's evil. And when you mention emotions to a traditional financial planner, it's the same thing. Like, what did you just say? It was unimportant. Let's get back to the mutual fund chart. So you have this huge gap in the middle 
where people live around their money, which is not making 90% of all their financial decisions emotionally, and who addresses that? Your therapists aren't equipped and your financial planners aren't equipped. And yes. that's where the idea of a financial therapist uh, comes in. So financial therapy and therapy is a bad word, we think. We actually tried to rename the uh, Financial Therapy Association and we couldn't come up with another name like the financial psychology is a great name, but there's all sorts of legal problems with saying more about financial psychology and uh, financial counseling. I mean, we really tried, but it, it is the blending of emotions and money of psychology and financial planning. So for someone to step into that um, space, and do it well, they need to have training mm. in financial planning, and they need to have training in therapy or coaching or, or some, some type of uh, on, on the emotional side or behavior change. So that's what we've been purporting or pushing um, is that to really bring the greatest value to our clients we need to have competencies in both areas. Now, most, most planners, if, if I have a um, master's degree in uh, therapy, which would be here uh, like a uh, degree in clinical mental health counseling, and I have a CFP, those are, those are very two different realms, right? Oh, yeah. One is left brain. Yeah. One is right brain, right? Yeah. Most of us are drawn to one or the other. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I'm left brain drawn. Uh, so it's, it's been a great work for me to become aware of the uh, behavioral um, principles of learning myself, learning myself emotionally. I feel far more comfortable in the, in the numbers. But I have developed those competencies and I can. Um, I'm comfortable in that area. I'm not brilliant, but I'm comfortable. You have a lot of planners that get into planning so they can be with people. Yes. And, and the relationship is important and they just hate the, the numbers. It's like, oh man, I got to struggle through this stuff so I can be a planner. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I typically find that even though a person is double degreed or has the, the training in each area, they tend to like one area over the other. Mm -hmm. I also tend to purport that the best experience for the client, for the consumer, is to be working with two financial therapists, one that is really skilled in the therapy area mm -hmm. and one that's really skilled in the numbers. Do you do that in your practice? Yes. Wow. So each person has two financial planners. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have two people in every meeting and we will have one person playing the role of mm -hmm. the uh, analytical planner, mm -hmm. the, the left brain planner. And we will have another person playing the role of the, we call it a relational planner or okay. the therapist. And for example, we have one of our one of our associates is double degree. She has a CFP, and she also has a, uh, a master's in clinical mental health counseling. 
Wow. Um, she also has a master's in mechanical engineering. Wow. You <laughs> should be my financial <laughs> That was her Gosh. previous life. That's fantastic. Uh, we have another planner who's a CFP, and he's getting his uh, certificate from uh, Golden Gate University in um, financial life planning. I have heard that one, yes. I'm, what, what have I done? I you know, <laughs> I've just, I haven't, I don't have any formal training. In wow, really? I have about 20 years of being in therapy, facilitating, <laughs> co-facilitating therapy groups. I, uh, and I, I am a certified financial therapist level one. Right. There's going to be three levels. Whoa. Of which I will never be the third level because that's a licensed therapist CFP, right? Right, understood. Um, so, so I'm the laggard of the of the group. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we just think it's really important to provide that to our clients. Yeah, I mean, as it's an extremely valuable service to get access to someone who's looking after your rational side and after your emotional side, and to have almost specialists in the same room. Now, um, as that's happening, the, is this a bad way to think of it? But are they having a good cop, bad cop relationship, or are they having an angel and demon relationship, or how how are they are they competing against each other for which is the best decision, or are they coming uh, uh, are they coming at it from a a combined? Um, we've done the work in the background. And collectively, we're here to, we we come with a unified front or what is that dynamic like when there's, let's say, let's say it's just an individual, not a couple, but there's two financial planners. Um, How, what's that dynamic like? That's that's a really interesting question. They are a team. Okay. So you have, it's really important that both of these planners Mm -hmm. have, uh, are duly trained, right? Yes, because you, uh, you the the professional needs to know. I mean, it, it's possible that you can have a pure therapist and a pure financial planner doing this with a client, but they still have got to have done their own work, which is called counter transference work. Counter transference work. Okay. Which means, if I'm going to be in a session with a client, we're going to talk about money, and I got all sorts of problems and issues around money. Mm. as the therapist, mm. maybe I better not be in that session. Wow. Right. Because I'm going to get triggered. Same with the planner. If, if we're getting into ther- therapy areas that I haven't done my own therapy around, I'm going to get triggered. Right. Yep. Yep. So you've got to have both of these professionals that have, that understand something about the other. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that they walk the walk that you're not asking a client to do an exercise or to do something you haven't done yourself. You're not asking a client to look at some, some place in their past history or look at their family dynamics and you haven't done your own work. Yes. That's highly, highly important. So um, the relationship between the two is very collegial. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a team. For example, when I, will work with a uh, somebody playing the therapist role and the client wanders into some some area uh, uh, 
I'll explain like one of the areas I am least brilliant in <laughs> is when a couple starts fighting. Sure. Okay. There's a part of me that goes and hides under the nearest table. All right. And that's because of my history. Um, I am so happy in that moment to, to have somebody else in the room that gets excited. Oh, great. A fighting couple. This is so cool. <laughs> and they can just be present with them and hang out and say, when you said this, and they'll unpack it for 20 minutes. And then you said this, and they'll unpack it for 20 minutes. I can relax because that's not my genius yeah. whatsoever. So, and it's likewise when you have especially when you have a, a therapist that doesn't have a huge amount of training in finance, they are so happy yeah. to have the planner in the room, right? Yeah. And this is why you need both because traditional therapists don't understand finance. I mean, in, in, a, in a rough term, they can be bamboozled by the client around money because they have no context of finance finance or laws or any of this. Yeah. But when you have the planner in the room, boom, you have instant explanation or you have somebody there that can uh, hold that space of, of what's real around money. And likewise, the planner has somebody that can sit back and relax when it's time to go into the more emotionally charged areas. What I typically find is a good team uh, knows when to shut up. Each, each other knows when to shut up. Mm. That's really important if you're the planner. Um, because there is a, a big, there is a big difference here. And this really occurred to me the other day. As a planner, we are programmed to give advice. Right? That's what people come to us for. That's what we're paid for. Mm -hmm. Therapists are paid not to give advice. They are paid to listen, to reflect, to be with, with the client, and help them discover the, the path that is uh, right for them, all right? So you have this friction, and I see this friction within myself as I'm with a client. There's a time to be with a client, and there's a time to give advice, and this is a real hard one. It's been very hard for me to learn, and I'm still learning. For example, when don't you give advice? Whenever you get resistance. You can assume that a client is there to get advice until they go, no, or no, I'm not going to do that. And you're like, uh, let's see, you came to me because you're worried about retirement and you're overspending, and I've just done the numbers, and I've told you you need to save 4000 a month, and now you're telling me no. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's resistance. And resistance means you're moving too fast. You're moving too fast in terms of you don't quite have the relationship that's required or moving too fast as in you've gone from, let's call it fact finding into advice too quickly. Yes. It would yep. be more the latter. Right. It's, oh, okay. I thought that I've heard everything. I've delivered what I've, they've asked for and I'm hitting resistance 
Or it's kind of like uh, somebody coming to us wanting a distribution from their retirement plan. How do I take that? And you look, you're looking at them and you see they have absolutely no estate plan or they have absolutely no liability coverage or something that's just glaring. Mm. Like uh, the distribution here is the smallest part of your problem. Do you, do you realize <laughs> that... Uh, while you might have a little cut on your hand, we have this mass inside of one of your lungs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you get resistance on that. Mm. No. Oh, da-da-da-da-da, some excuse or some reason. And it, it's like, oh, they're not ready to see that, that area. So that's where the learning to be with somebody is so important. That's where the therapeutic... Um, methodologies become so important. In the past, all I did is um, I just hit the nail harder with the hammer. Yeah, same. Like, uh, what part of this don't you get? Yeah. Maybe if I raise my voice and say the same thing again, they'll get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about all the, the poor times that I came up against resistance and my strategies that I dealt with it were horrible. Um, uh, you know, the, like simply saying, oh, you feel a little bit uncomfortable doing this. Uh, do you, that's okay. I'm sure it'll be, you'll get used to it. You know what I mean? Like that's that. Uh, so I would implement the solution without like, because I was such an outcomes focused advisor and I, I'm really proud of the outcomes that I achieved. Um, but I did, I was very poor at pulling uh, that uh, at, at taking them along a journey so they felt like they were the ones creating the advice for themselves and done in such a way that there was total emotional buy-in for me it was just a case of rather abrupt it was okay this is what you were doing but this is what we're doing now and there was a fork in the road and that fork was my advice and that was how i justified my fees to them to myself I was justifying my fees. Um, and as I've gone on this process of learning more and more about advice, I think back to those decisions and uh, it wasn't pressing to implement that advice. What I should have done is spent more time on that journey with the person. Let's go, let's deep dive deeper into what the problems are. Let's figure out why the resistance is there. Um, and I, I'm, I, I, I mean, I, I look back at my past and say, I wish I'd done things better. But, you know, for whatever reason, there's just not a lot of information available for the majority of financial planners. For example, not everyone has access to the Baz Rutten Project. Uh, it, what, sorry, was it the Baz Rutten Project? Naz. Naz Rutten. That Baz Rutten is a... Is a <laughs> Is right, somebody a, else. Yes, is someone completely different. Uh, he's an old old school MMA fighter. So Naz Rutten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes more sense. So I I look back at, at my previous advice and I say, okay, I could I could have done that better. How does an advisor go from a state of not being aware that they're doing something wrong to being aware that they're doing something wrong to then learning how to fix it and then ultimately providing better advice because the solution that you're using i think is very um high quality however it's probably not achievable for the majority of advisors to have two staff members 
go through each client. You, if you look at it from an economic point of view, you're almost, you're not doubling the fixed costs, but you're probably increasing it by maybe 50%, something along those lines. Um, I think it's a brilliant idea and I'd, I'd, I hope an advisor listens to this podcast and then goes on to do it. I, I would find that very fascinating. But probably for the majority of advisors, if they were to start making these changes, if I think back to myself uh, as a planner, I would attempt to do the emotional uh, piece of the therapy side of advice better. That, that would be my interim solution. Perhaps at some stage I built up where I could have two, but at least start improving uh, my ability to handle that intersection of money and emotions at a higher, a higher level. Um, so to that end, at what stage do you think a client can be handled by a financial planner before they need to see a psychologist? Like from where you're uh, looking, how to one out of 10 Mm, I'm not sure the description to use, maybe disturbed. How upset would a client need to be before even a practice like yours would say, we're not capable of handling this. You need to go see a psychologist. So, because if I think back to my practice, I was at like, say two out of 10, maybe three. I was really just down that, that very, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't emotionally absent but it, it just wasn't a part of what I was delivering. Um, and I could handle basically a little resistance. And if they didn't want to work within this confinement, uh, then we probably wouldn't work together. Um, the, as I've sort of delved into this mental health series, I can see that there's a lot of advisors who are handling that relationship a lot further up that scale, um, handling bigger problems. And let's face it, getting better results. Ultimately, at the end of the day, if I'm an outcomes focused advisor, then I actually want to play in this space more and more and more because I can play a larger and larger and larger role. At, at, and and I'm, I'm sure this is a crude way to imagine it, but how far between zero being not at all and 10 being that someone is in a really bad shape? Uh, at what stage can your financial therapy handle until it's beyond the skill set of your office? Yeah. I, that, that's a question that um, one of my co-authors who is a psychologist got a lot. How far can you go before you do harm yes. to the client? Yes. And I think that's kind of framing up what you've said. Precisely. How do, how do I know when I have exceeded my yes. skill set? Yes. And his answer was, was uh, I think, brilliant. He said, whenever you feel uncomfortable, hmm. when you feel like, oh, I do not know it. Um, because it, it's different, even for therapists, it's different. Therapists will refer out to other therapists. Really? So it's quite a continuum. And I think it's great to farm it, frame it up on a one to 10 because... Uh, you know, probably most of the clients we deal with, if if ten is having really uh, that have had a lot of trauma trauma and really are damaged, and one is the perfectly most health healthy emotional person in the world, <laughs> uh, probably most of our clients hang between three and seven. Oh yeah, 
so and because not every client is the same and so we've got to present differently for example i i've worked with actual therapists and their clients and uh, and say we'll do a whole day of financial therapy i've had days where i talk for 15 minutes and the therapist worked with the clients for the rest of the time wow. i've had other days where the therapist talked for 15 minutes and ran the calculator for the rest of the day <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of you, you just got to go with where the client is and it's one of the big things that we learn about is you go with the client's agenda what is top of the client's agenda not mine now i have agenda i have some things that i'd like to get answered but um they may not be able to hear anything that i'm saying until they get their agenda so and the therapists are very good at this at following the client's agenda and a couple of things i'd like to respond to is the way you were practicing you've been a little hard on yourself it's the traditional way that financial planning is done but you've come here here's what you've presented here's what you've asked for here's the solutions right yeah yeah and it works really good when a person is in the action stage there's uh, something called changing for good by petraska it's a book and it's it's on the stages of change and the stage that we think most clients are in when they come to us is the action stage uh the 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 problem is that only about 20% of the clients that come to us are in the action stage and they're typically in the action stage over exactly what they've come to us for <laughs> not necessarily anything else um and the first stage is pre-contemplation meaning uh we would often call it denial like <laughs> right. i'm not even aware that there is any problem and if you see the problem you are the problem because i don't have a problem <laughs> So one of the options has always been as you alluded to well if I can't work with the people hey I can't work with you folks go find another financial planner and that's an okay business model and I mean it's perfectly okay to say I'll work with people who want the solutions and actually mean what they tell me mm. which is another problem because people often don't know what they really want absolutely their their objective what are your goals and objectives you know that's about all the <laughs> communication training us financial planner gets state your goals and objectives and they'll <laughs> say well here's here's my father's goal for me here's society's goal here's what i yeah. think i should be here here's what i think i should be doing yeah. and that's why when we present the plan it falls dead because really it's not their plan but they don't even know that right? wow man that is deep so um so what you've alluded to is exactly right i don't think you need to get a a masters in counseling i don't think a planner needs to go to that extreme i think we need to start learning more and more about ourselves emotionally that's where it really starts quite frankly you cannot add um behavioral um competencies by reading a book absolutely it's uh it's it's not academically learned i mean yes there's lots of counseling that's academics but when you start learning how to be with a client and really 
the most successful therapy, and I can't give you the site on this because I haven't been able to find it, but uh, a psychologist told me this once and I've had complete agreement on it from them. So I think it's close to being true. That is, for successful therapy, you first have to have a bond with the therapist. And I've been told that's 40% of it, all right? Trust, rapport, a bond. And the next thing that the uh, therapist has to have is really exquisite listening, a deep ability to listen. And that's 30% of it. So 70% of successful therapy is a bond with the therapist and the therapist's ability to listen. Mm -hmm. Now, I would submit to you, you don't have to go do two years of college to learn that. In fact, you could do two years of college and not know a thing about how to really listen deeply. Yeah. And any financial planner, first of all, that the bond is, is incredibly important. We know we can't do anything without that. And we're talking to people about the most intimate thing they can talk about, their money. So that bond is, comes very, very natural to a financial plan. So it's adding the deep listening skills. If, if someone listening to this can do one thing, it's just go out and get into a experiential course that will teach you how to listen. And listening is, is lifelong learning. Hmm. <laughs> it's one of the most difficult things I've ever had to learn is how to listen, how to be with another individual. And so I, it's that simple and yet it's that complex because listening is something, I mean, I've taken some of the same courses over two and three times, nonviolent communication, NVC, nonviolent non communication. Nonviolent communication. I have listened to the book by uh, uh, the uh, founder of that five times, six times. It's, Whoa. You just cannot get enough of it because it's, um, huh. well, it, it's really timeless. Nonviolent communication is a great thing uh, for any planner to get curious about. It, it Probably if there's one thing that I'd recommend. Is that a book or, or, a, or a subject? Yeah, there's, there's uh, uh, books. Um, I think the founder's name was Rosenberg. And um, he's, you can find his books on Amazon. He's, he's passed away, but it, his books are great. And he has them on uh, Audible. Uh, audiobooks too. Non, just Google nonviolent communication and there's a NBC. I think it might even be NBC.org website you can go to. And it is the one best source of learning how to listen that I know of. And That's there's awesome. actually little society, little uh, groups all around the world. Sydney probably has one, an NBC group where you go and you can practice. Wow. Um, one of the, so if I was to sort of pick a couple of things that you've mentioned during this podcast, one of them, and I thought this was a really good insight. One of them was, you know, when you've gone or you've overstepped your mark when you're uncomfortable and you don't know what to do. Then another thing is in order to get or, or, or expand what you are comfortable with, this nonviolent communication is something to learn that will probably get you from, let's say where I was at three, maybe up to four or maybe up to five. Right. And so yes. what, what I, what I can kind of take from this is um, it's expanding the level 
as a planner, our goal should be to expand the level that we're comfortable having those conversations and being really clear on when we're out of our depth. And I think, I think if, if nothing else, what a great thing to take from financial therapy as, as a really good starting point. And the deeper you go into yourself, the more you're going to be able to understand your clients. We, you can't take a client any further than you've gone yourself. So when, when I get un, uncomfortable is when uh, I'm starting to get triggered. And so when I start looking at that part of myself, that allows me now to um, be there for that client. In other words, I used to be very uncomfortable when there was any ever any tears. Like, oh my God, there's tears. Quick, talk about the mutual fund. Yeah. As I started looking, well, why am I afraid of tears? What's going on with me? Well, it's about me. It's, a, it's about me being uncomfortable. And it's about this means something that I need to look at. And as I look at those issues within myself, I remember the first time I had a lady start crying, a client, and she'd been uh, diagnosed breast cancer. It's tough. And in the past, I would have gone, oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, let's take a look here at the graph. And I remember I reached over and got a Kleenex and gave it to her. Now, to most people listening to this podcast, they'd be going, is this guy daft? Good grief. Wouldn't anybody do that? No. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. But when I did that, it was like, wow. What I was doing is like I was inviting her tears. Like the numbers aren't really important now. What's important is being with this person has had this terrible diagnosis. So, so as we start being more comfortable with our emotions, you know, a lot of us live life pushing away emotions, pushing away anger, pushing away fear, pushing away sadness. When we start to understand that those emotions are neutral, they're given to us to give us information about something that's going on within us. And that there are, a lot of us get the idea they're bad, that there's bad emotions. There are not bad emotions. There are emotions like money. Is money bad? Is money good? No, money is, is. it just yes. is. Yes. Same with emotions. They just are. And so as we learn to start embracing emotions and welcoming feelings and actually feeling the feelings rather than running from them, then we can do that with our clients. Like, hmm. oh, I used to really resist sadness, but I don't resist it anymore. I welcome it. And now I can be with a client. Wow. Wow. So realistically, then um, the goal, the, the lifetime goal or the lifetime learning for a financial planner is there's only so many certified things that one can be when it comes to the academic side of financial planning, right? You know, when, when, you're, when you're calculating by hand 50,000 uh, Monte Carlo algorithms you know perhaps you've reached your peak uh and yet that's all it's all we've really focused on in financial planning um but as 
as financial planning evolves and matures and becomes uh, far more emotional in nature and psychological, uh, psycho- psychology focused, I should say, um, then it's, it's conversations like this that I, that I think really will help advisors step up. And I, I've found this subject, and I'm almost getting to, this, to the end of this 10-part subject, but I found this conversation in particular to be a uh, very how-to because it, although it's an ethereal subject, you still need a, a bit of a roadmap on how to get better at this. And, uh, and so I want to thank you for sharing um, not just your view on, on wow, like a, a career in, in exploring this, but also there's a couple of really good steps in there for advisors to actually start doing. And so for that, mate, I just really want to thank you for coming on and sharing. Uh, Before we wrap up, what's the best way for anyone out there just to say hi um, or to find out more about your, um, your advice practice? Yeah, I have a, a book that I'd recommend that I wrote to financial planners Oh, wow. on how to how to do this i mean it's it's got the forms i still use with clients it's got exercises it's and it, it's the textbook i use in the course i teach at golden gate university and it's called facilitating financial health it's uh, you want the 2016 the second edition and that that is um, everything i know in a book and it was also written with uh, a couple of psychologists. Huh. So um, that would be one thing. I, I have a blog I send out uh, once a week that uh, can be found at financialawakenings.com. And it's not always about financial therapy, but I do try to address the emotions of things. Um, because financial therapy does have two parts and one is financial. Absolutely. And, and uh, as financial planners, we, yeah. we, we, we focus on the therapy part, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the financial part is still 50% of the equation. Agree. Yeah. Um, so uh, those are two ways that a person can uh, learn more about, uh, about what I do. And, I, and I, then I have a fun read called The Financial Wisdom of Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> And that will ruin the Christmas carol for you forever if you read that. Awesome. Oh, mate. Well, uh, I could spend hours, but out of respect for your time, um, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's obviously a little bit later in the afternoon for you, so you've had a long day ahead. Um, oh, sorry, you've, you've had a long day. I've got the long day ahead. So uh, thank you've you. You've got a long day ahead, yes. Exactly. Mate, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Awesome. Cheers, mate.